This Westwards mini masterclass is a production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. For more information on Westwards and what we do, please go to westwards.com.au. Welcome to today's mini masterclass. I'm James Roy. Just a quick note before we get started. This uh, recording was made over the phone because uh, Harry lives in a place that made getting in contact via Zoom quite difficult, so we do apologise for the slightly denatured quality of the recording. Let's get on with it. Welcome to today's mini masterclass from Westwards. I'm James Roy, I'm your host today. And today I'm speaking with Harry Lang. Now, Harry is uh, a poet, a comic performer, a children's author. He has two collections of poetry for adults published, with a new one coming out later this year. He has two poetry collections for children called Shoppopus, which came out in 2015, and Moonfish, which came out last year. He does a lot of work, or has been doing in the past, up until the coronavirus thing, uh, a lot of school visits, performing poetry for kids, which he really loves, and I'm sure they really love as well. He and his partner also uh, run residential poetry weekends down at the place near Braidwood. So, Harry, welcome. How are you, mate? I'm pretty good, thank you. It is a magic day down here on the uh, Southern Tablelands, still, mm. you know, all slightly autumnal, lovely bright day, and I'm looking out on unburnt forest, which is quite nice because there's a lot of that around. So you, had a, you had a bit of a close shape with the fires in the, over the end of the I sure did, yes. On the 30th of December, it came in at night behind us, and uh, we were incredibly lucky because there was a nor'westerly wind blowing, so that was sort of blowing back across the fire, which meant Mm -hmm. that we didn't get a lot of smoke and ember, and it didn't come in really, you know, till about one in the morning, so it wasn't going completely crazy, and all these amazing mosquitoes, you know, the people with the water tanks on the back Mm -hmm. of the utes that I didn't even know about had turned up plus a fire truck, so um, yeah, we, we did all right, but it was all pretty traumatic, and uh, the beautiful Monga Forest behind me, which is National Park, is just really pretty devastated. Yeah, yeah, it's awful. So today, we're going to talk about poetry and getting started with poetry, um, and we're going to talk about the difference between poetry and other kinds of writing, because you write other kinds of, uh, of work in addition to poetry, I'm assuming? Look, I, I write uh, for performance. I have written several solo shows, so I suppose that's the other the other arm of what I do is performance writing. Yeah. So when you when you do when you do comic writing or performance writing, I guess the, the challenge there is making it seem like it's completely off the cuff and made up on the spot, but in actual fact, it's fairly carefully scripted, isn't it? Yeah, because I'm hopeless at improvisation. I can't do it. So. Right. <laughs> I need, I need a script, I need to have written it and learned it, and then, yeah, it has to feel natural and off the cuff, but that's the sort of sleight of hand, if you like. Yeah, I remember seeing a, a documentary with, um, about uh, performers, um, actors and so forth, and, and their, their struggles with mental health and so forth, and I think Sam Neill was saying, he, uh, he said, I'm a terrible stage performer because he said, I, I'm not an actor, I just like they learn the lines and then they say to me, um, no, you didn't say that right, say it again. He said, so film and TV works perfectly for him, but he's got so flash at the stage then. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, poets are not known for, for good mental health generally. If you look uh, look at them through the uh, 
through the ages. Um, well, it's probably on account mostly of their mal of their malnutrition, isn't it? They don't they get paid a lot of poets. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, it doesn't help your mental health to, for the for the general apathy towards poetry, um, verging on total neglect. People tend to reach for poetry in times of struggle and, and, and turmoil or uplift. You know, weddings, funerals, the usual things. But on a day-to-day -day basis, no thanks. Not really need that. And yet here you are. Um, when someone asks you what you do, you're a poet. Is the first thing you say. I can't help myself, yes. Uh, I've been saying that for a lot of years. Uh, hopefully it's self-fulfilling. Um, thing is, when I'm writing poetry and it's going well, there is nothing I would rather do. It's, it's the most absorbing and exciting thing. Uh, that doesn't happen all the time. But when it happens, it's fabulous. So what's the main difference between poetry and other kinds of writing, you think? Poetry is compressed. Poetry is language at its best. So. It's surprising you. It's taking somewhere else. It's it's just got that charge, which other kinds of writing don't have and can't have. Is the good poetry um, good poetry taken in a direction you might not expect, perhaps? I hope so. I think surprise is a huge should be a huge element of of good poetry. You think, wow, you know, I didn't expect to go to go there. One of my favourite poems, and anyone who's heard me talk about poetry knows this because I, I quote it all the time, is the. Uh, you know the uh, poem No Time by Billy Collins. I know Billy Collins, yeah. Yeah, he talks about, I, I, can't, I should learn it off by heart because it's, I quote it all the time, but basically the premise of the thing is that he says as he's, as he's driving past the cemetery this weekday morning, he honks his horn, you know, where his parents lie side by side beneath two slabs of granite, he honks his horn and then spends the rest of the day worrying about his father sitting up with a scowling face and his mother calmly telling him to lie back down. Yes, 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 fabulous, fabulous. I mean, that's the kind of leap of imagination which a poem, nothing else can do that. Nothing else can do it so fast and so succinctly. Why do, why do you think that is? Because, as I said, you're, you're compressing language, you're really okay. choosing your words, and you're letting the space around those words work for you. The thing about poetry is there's a lot of white page around a poem, so you're mm. opening up this, you might say it's space for resonance, short lines, Rhythm, that's so key. The rhythm is so important. So there's this very immediate, you're actually creating a whole world in a page, on a page, one page. Right. So it, it's sort of the whole world, but also a tiny little part of the world in a sense, isn't it? Well, that's right. And, and so I feel you can write a poem about really almost anything, and I often do. I often say to kids, oh, what's the most boring thing you can think to write about? And they'll come up with, you know, teachers or <laughs> watching paint dry or something like that. And I say, well, how about a school carpet? And they'll go, yeah, that's pretty boring. But, you know, I've written a poem called Dreams of a School Carpet, and hopefully it comes alive, you know. It does mm. come alive, and, and you can do anything. And you can't do that in other kinds of writing. You have to explain stuff and, you know, go on about, you know, you have to have the logic and, yeah. Do you have a couple of examples of, of something you could share with us that talks about this idea of compressed writing and, and, and shifting thinking and surprising? Yeah, sure. Look, here's a couple of lines from uh, a gorgeous poem by the Kiwi poet, uh, Glenn Cahoon, who's also a GP, and it's, uh, the title is A Spell to be Used When Addressing the Birth of a Child. Right. Let your first breath be the volume of small lemons. Let your second breath snap like a sail in strong wind. Let your third breath howl like a wolf on the edge of a great mountain, etc. Mm. 
So what is it that, that jumps out at you from those, those three lines? Well, it's just so delicious, isn't it? Who would have thought a, a baby's first breath might be anything to do with small lemons? You know? And I suppose the snapping sail line makes you think, well, this child knows nothing about snapping sails, but maybe in, in the future as an adult or as a child, it will it, learn about this whole other world of sailing. And, and Absolutely. So there's all those things which just are passing before your eyes, but in those few words, it's just, it's so vivid, it's so visual. When I first approached you about doing this masterclass, I said, look, we're going to talk about how we get started with, with poetry. And you yep. said in, in your in your reply to me, you said, I'm not going to tell people how to write poetry because you can't. So yep. why do you even tell people about poetry? Why do you even go to schools and talk about poetry if you can't teach them how to write it? Or can't because tell them how to write it, rather? I want them to be excited about poetry because I love the stuff. Sure, I write it and I read it because it's such a wonderful way of engaging with the world. So I want them to discover, follow their nose, go on that marvellous trail, a bit like a, a pointer or a beagle dog, you know, sniffing here, there, all over the place. Oh, that's, that's an interesting book. And, oh, that sends me on to that book. And, oh, what about this person over here? It's very much your own, your own trail that you have to follow. And, and reading and, and the, the discoveries and the excitements of poetry. So who, who do you read? Who, who excites you as a poet? Look, um, funnily enough, a couple of Kiwis, a couple of New Zealand poets. Glenn Cahoon is a fabulous poet, and there's one called Sarah Broom. She's a wonderful, sadly she's dead, but Sarah Broom wrote a couple of superb books. Um, in the UK, uh, Kate Tempest is a marvellous, she's a, also a performer, you've probably come across her, she's been out to Australia a few times. Mm. Um, so she's a performer, a playwright, a muso. Uh, Tony Hoagland is a wonderful American poet, very dry, funny, ironic, great commentator. There's so, there's so many different styles, so many, so many good poets. One of the poets that I've recently rediscovered, I guess, I've always known him to be an amazing short story writer, but some of his poetry um, that really resonates with me is Henry Lawson. Um, now, I know that a lot of people will think about Henry Lawson and go, oh, yeah, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da, sort of A-B-A-B bush poetry. But you start digging a little bit deeper into some of his poetry, he really, um, he really connects with uh, some very poignant ideas, doesn't he? Oh, it's punchy stuff. And it's a mistake to think those, you know, to classify those as, as bush, bush balladeers and, as you say, with their, their pretty um, regular rhythms and rhyme schemes that it's somehow fuddy or, or not pertinent. Not at mm. all, you know. Mm. Some of it's pretty radical, actually. And well, he was a, he was a ferocious um, Republican. He was... Oh, yeah. And I mean that in the, um, in the European sense rather than the American sense. Anyway, let's assume that our listeners want to do, write some poetry, they want to start, where, where do they kick off? What, what's their first step? Look, I think a great way to start is to, you've got, a, you've got an idea, you've got an image, maybe you've got a little bit of rhythm in your head, you've got, you've got a feeling that you want to reproduce on the page. So just, just get some words done, stream write it. Don't, don't get too self-conscious and stare at the blank page. Just stream write or journal it, you know. Get some words down and let them pour out without, without um, worrying about what you're saying. 
without trying to edit it in any way. So at least you've just got some some black stuff on the page. And then, you know, go back and have a bit of a look. And you might well find a couple of phrases, a couple of words, just, oh, hang on, yeah, that gets it. That gets what I was feeling. Then you can start to maybe put them together. So I guess, I guess the key part of this then is, as you're doing this, not going, oh, that, that's a terrible line, that will never work in this poem. You just put it down because there's a chance it's not going to find its way in there anyway. It's just a really way of unlocking your thinking around something. Yeah, just get those lines. I mean, just write all those lines together, stream them out. I mean, don't necessarily set them out as a poem either because then that can start freezing you up. Just run them on, run them on. And, and, and there will be something in there that gets a bit of that. Uh, sensation you were having or that, that that urge that you were feeling yeah oh hang on yes that's that's a bit like it so it's a bit little like um you know, exercising getting off the couch is the bit is the is the hardest part so just getting getting that pen across the page is really the the that's key to getting going isn't it well i think so and it's trying not to aim you know often people want to start plunging into big lofty ideas they want to write about oh justice and hope and truth and love and it's it's all too it's sort of vaporous it's like mist you know what actually are they what you need is something concrete what you need is an image what you need is the image and the sound that match that feeling and so actually you might be writing a poem about truth and justice and love by looking at uh, a vase of flowers or the mm. light on the table or you know, something quite mundane and everyday. Gwen Harwood wrote a beautiful poem called The Barn Owl where she explores this whole idea of growing up through uh, a depiction of shooting an owl in the barn because the main the protagonist feels that's the manly and strong and powerful thing to do and then the great grief that comes after it. How far into a poem do you realise, do you identify what it's about or do you need to know what it's about before you start? As I say, I think you need that, uh, that strong feeling, um, which, which will then, a bit like a magnet, that will pull some of the actual subject matter. I mean, if I could just, just quote a few lines. I wrote a, a poem about coming to Braidwood, because a lot of people, when we first moved here, said, why have you, why have you moved to Braidwood? So I wrote a poem called Why Braidwood? Mm -hmm. The plateau opened me like a book. I saw my life written here. Bold, tight country, clean-swept pasture, a new meaning to wind blowing leaner and harder, the look of the land, all granite full stops, ridges and chapters of blue mauve, soft vowels of the Shoalhaven River. Mm. So I was really, it's a love poem to this place, this place that I'd come to, and uh, of course there's a little bit of, you know, I'm talking about type and um, full stop. So, I mean, I'm actually using language to describe the landscape. So you're saying that the impulse to write a poem can often be an emotional visual trigger. Um, are there other ways to kick that off? I mean, you talked about just writing freely about something um, and then finding the the, uh, the germ of the start in there. What are, what, are, what are some other ways that you might approach the beginning? Well... I think that the, the emotional part is a very strong part. I want to connect with that poet's feeling, you know, and it's 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 strong feeling. But that doesn't mean that, oh, I don't actually feel very strongly about anything much, but I want to write a poem. I mean, that's perhaps a less usual way to come at it. But why not? A lot of people write fabulous list poems. Mm. So, and they can work really well. You know, last week, 
there's a title last week and then here's a list of all the things that happened some good some not so good and you know that sounds perhaps not that interesting but you can you can certainly make it so just that weird event something happened to you except probably nothing much is happening to people now <laughs> well i'm sure there's plenty of holes to write about being isolated with a family well exactly so last week i went through you know last week i plumbed these depths last week i really lost it um, I'm sure there's plenty of material there. Last week I binge-watched Breaking Bad from beginning well, to end. Well, exactly, and yeah. finally I just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> One way that I discovered some years ago to, um, to start a poem was, uh, you know, the fridge poetry that you can get. That's just the, the um, you know, all the random words, and you put them on the fridge like little magnets, and you rearrange them into something that vaguely resembles poetic language. I'm not sure that's a good way to write an entire poem, but it's probably not a bad way to start, get a first line, is it? Well, look, you know, if you why not try a bit of doodling? You know, just chop some words up on the page and rearrange them, or just reverse reverse a sentence and and have the have the object becoming the subject i mean it's mm. so simple but actually it does some quite startling things to your mind you think oh now that's a lot more interesting why don't i go with that i find too that if you go go through um as long as it's not a song that you know terribly well but if you go through song titles either in your cd collection if that's something people still have or itunes or whatever and you grab out song titles and just start doodling off those you often have a uh, an interesting connection of words that you may not, not ordinarily put in the same place. Sure. Yeah. Whatever works for you. But really, you're you're trying to shift your thinking. I mean, you're trying to surprise yourself mm. as much as anybody else out there. And it's a hard you. It's avoiding cliche. You can be you know be ruthless with yourself on cliche. That's uh, you know oh I've I've seen that before I've had, no you know try you're finding a new way to say things a new way to say old things but you, it's got to be a new way and your way to say it. Have you got any examples of that? I write a series of poems about um, a road trip that we often do to South Australia. Feel a little bit like a pilgrimage in a way and. I mean, here's a little invocation or, or, or some of it just about the road, getting on the road. Road for grit, road for bone, road for pointing, road for home, road for ready, road for bust, road for shreds of tire crust, road for roaring, road for lags, road for drifters, road that drags, road emotion, road wells up, road the killer, road the truck, road for nothing, road for slack, road the reason, no road back. So mm -hmm. that's a little list poem. But that repeated... That repeated word throughout for me kind of evokes that idea of endless drudgery of the drive and you've sort of taken that and interspersed it with different ideas haven't you yeah it's a little invocation really to that amazing beast the road that you you get on and it's such an aussie thing except we can't do it anymore at least for the <laughs> moment uh that that just takes you out there and it's uh it's not a boring place to be the road because your, your, your mind is it's full of all kinds of stuff. Mm. I have a friend who lives in uh, in Perth and he he's driven he's driven the Nullarbor I think three or four times now because yeah. his family's back in Melbourne and when I was over there a while ago I said to him I said don't doesn't it get to you and he said of course it gets to you he said that's the point <laughs> he said he said and if you ask me to do it tomorrow I'll do it tomorrow he said I'll do it again and again he said. Because it's a, it's a bit like challenging yourself to uh, 
you know, a marathon, not that I've ever run a marathon, but a marathon or a climbing a mountain or whatever, at some point you know you're going to get to the point where you go, gee, I'd rather be doing anything else. He said that's when you've got to dig deep inside yourself and find some some emotional resilience to push on to the next truck stop kind of thing. Absolutely, but comes with that, also comes with that, these sort of strange little delights too, you know, that familiar place. Oh, but it's changed a bit because the season's different and, mm. and because the landscape is what it is and it sort of empties out, that, it's sort of full of possibilities for daydreaming and reverie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, yeah, I've, I've written about, I know, 20 poems on that um, on that road trip scene because they just kept coming. So let's say you've got some lines down the page. Yep. Um, you, you've read through them and you've gone, look, some of this is, there's some great moments in here, there's some great lines, some great images, there's a whole lot of dross that probably needs to disappear. What's your next step? Well, editing is very, is very important. And as I say, the old phrase is kill your darlings. Quite often, the, the the phrase that you started with, or that, that precious line that you've repeated to yourself over and over, actually, that's getting in the way. That might well be the one that has to go. You find that young people struggle with this when they you work a lot in schools. I guess you find a lot of young people who think that if it's not rhyming, it's not really a poem. Um, yeah, I'm pretty clear from the start that. It doesn't have to rhyme to be a poem. Um, why why do you think rhyming... I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, but why do, why do you think rhyming is such a... can be anathema to a, a good poem? Well, there's good rhyming and bad rhyming, James. I mean, that's the thing. You know, cheesy rhymes and obvious clunky rhymes do not help. Mm. And uh, But good rhyming is, is really hard. Um, I believe that in Italian, you know, there's just hundreds more possibilities for rhyming. English is not that easy. Yeah, well, I've always thought, as a songwriter, I've always thought that I wish I spoke Spanish because yes. you listen to, <laughs> to Spanish music and there's so many different words that rhyme with each other. That's right. So you have to really work in, in, in English. But it's, it's worth the effort. It's worth the effort not, not going for that obvious rhyme, that cheesy, clunky rhyme, because, of course, rhyme doesn't work without rhythm either. You know, if you have a right. clunky rhythm and a clunky rhyme, well, you know, it's probably not worth doing it in rhyme. But, yeah, but look, with kids, I find that I don't really labour the editing thing. I think only when, you know, in maybe sort of years 10 to 12, when they're, when they're old and they've got more, uh, a bit more, sense about how to how to work with the language but younger it, it's hard it's hard to edit i think you just want to encourage them to write really and get it out there all right so when when you're talking about the the shape of a poem what, what is what are you talking about there i think you have to for a start trust that every poem does have a shape you've got to find it you know it's a bit like the sculptor with his block of marble believing that the the statue the figure is inside it he's uncovering it so that's what you're doing. You're, 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 you're finding that shape as you go. And so lay it out. Try it different ways. You know, try it in a block of text or break it up into couplets of two lines. How does it look? How does that feel? It, does that help letting some air in or mm. not? So you're, so you're not talking about writing a poem about a fish where it's structured like the shape of a fish on the page. That's not oh, what sure. You want to I mean, that's a shape poem. I mean, that, that's a way to go. Um, but... That, that's a hard thing to do to pull off, uh, but it, it can be fun. 
No, but I'm, I'm talking about the, the shape that that suits the the feel. Like you know, you wouldn't write a, 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 a big fat poem about a really skinny tree or person. You know, you're, you're actually looking to to subtly emphasize your your subject by by the shape of the poem, how it looks. Let's get practical here for a moment, Harry. If a listener wants to get stuck into this, we've already talked about the stream writing, but if you've got some exercises or some ideas that you could throw at people where they could actually take away and, 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 and do some practical attempts at poetry. Absolutely. So here, here's a few titles to get people going. How about first car? Everybody remembers their first car with either affection or, or, or maybe even, you know, horror. Um, so <laughs> what was yours? <laughs> Mine was a Morris Traveller. Oh. I don't know if you had them out here, but they, um, they had wooden doors. The doors, uh-huh. the little back doors, were actually um, had a wooden frame. And mine actually managed to grow a mushroom inside the car. <laughs> <laughs> a living, a I had it when I was an art student at art college in, in, in the UK, and uh, it was such a faithful car, and I treated it so badly. Um, yeah. So, first car, or right. how about a party you remember? You know, <laughs> there's a few of them, aren't there? <laughs> well, the ones that you don't remember, they're the, and they're the, the ones they're that the ones you don't, don't remember, but have pretty um, awful suspicions. <laughs> <laughs> or even last week. You know, we were talking about last week. Just last week. Try last week. So, you, all the, those three titles. That's that's a great way. Or, or here's one: um, the first house. First house you remember well. Those, those memories are often, you see, that they can come up with really concrete images because you remember that, that, the door of the car, the inside of the car, what happened with the car, the way you drove the car into that tree that time, um, you know, the house, the smell, the feel, the mornings, the birds, you know, those are all good things for poetry. They're all concrete. Yeah, I remember seeing a woman when I was much, much younger. I remember going into a service station. This woman drove in in a, a mini miner. And it had the opposite problem to, what, to most mini miners that I've ever met, and that is that the engine wouldn't stop. <laughs> and and <laughs> she, she pulled up at the Bowser and she stepped out in the car. Vroom, 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 vroom. Yeah. And in, in rhythm with the engine, she went, stop car, stop car, please car, stop car, and went, and it just stopped. Okay. And I thought... What a, what a great moment. That was, well, that's fabulous. Yeah, you could ride me. that one. You could ride that one. Yeah. yeah. So what else have we got? What else can we do? So um, start with one of those. It's sort of quite a good way in. How about, how about the secret life of an object? They're all around you. Pick it. A fridge, um, a frying pan, a light. The secret life of an object. I think I was talking earlier about this, um, the dreams of an object, the dreams of a school carpet, you know. I am the lowest of the low. There is no lower you could go. Look at me, I'm flat out bored, trampled, battered, and ignored. But I have dreams that I can fly, a carpet eagle in the sky, etc. So you can have real fun with that. Uh, What's an object saying? Uh, Why is it there? Um, What's it saying to other objects? The good thing about that is that you have to focus on, look at, and actually evoke and describe this object. So it stops you drifting off into those sort of lofty places for those big words like truth and justice and love and things like that. And it shouldn't be, for young, for young writers in particular, it shouldn't be 
a difficult jump to make considering that you know Pixar has made an immense fortune out of making movies about inanimate objects or or non-human objects into basically objects with feelings, doesn't it? Absolutely. So you don't have to wait for Pixar to do it yourself. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're so, they're so clever. They even made um, a film about a movie about uh, what if feelings had feelings and yeah, inside out, and what if emotions were, were actually characters as well. Yeah, yeah. So what else have we got? How about you brainstorm all the descriptive, descriptive words you can think of for titles like moon or sea. So you come up with all the moon words or all the sea words you can think of, you know, 20, 30 words. And then write a poem using none of those words. Right. Entitled Moon or Sea. That sounds challenging. It is. Absolutely. Because but you've... it's terrific because you can't just fall into the... So you're brainstorming for sea and you've got froth and you've got waves and you've got surf and you've got roar and you've got all those words. And then you have to write about the sea, but you can't use any of those words. I think it was John Marsden, I uh, hope I'm not misquoting him, but um, I think it was John Marsden talked about doing a, a workshop in the north of Tasma northwest of Tasmania overlooking um, Bass Strait, and he was yep. with a whole bunch of students, and he asked them to write about the ocean in front of them, so they're all writing about blue sky and gentle waves and, yes. and, and seagulls, and he said, what are you talking about? Have another look. And, of course, it was this horrible stormy day with you know, <laughs> the, <laughs> the waves pounding the rocks, and they said, yeah, we're writing about the sea that... We thought you wanted us to write about, and that's, yeah. that's not really what you had in mind at all. Not at all, no. So we've got to, to somehow nudge ourselves out of those sort of familiar places, and, um, and there's nothing like having to reach for uh, words that, that are not the sort of uh, average, normal, cliched words that you'd use to describe something, but you actually have to find quite different words. But you can do it. The point mm. is that your poem about the moon or the sea or whatever, will be much more powerful if you're forced to come up with words that you wouldn't normally use to describe those things. Yeah, one of the things that we, we've done at Westwards in the past is, the, is, is writers' camps where we've taken people from, yeah. young people from the inner, inner west of Sydney or even the, the greater west of Sydney and taken them to camps out, out back. And um, I remember the, the first one of these we did with some boys from Granville Boys High. And um, they, a lot of these boys had never been passed and the Pean River or the Blue Mountains. And nice. when we got up to Baradine where the camp was being held, I said to this, this young guy, year 10 guy from um, Granville, I said, so what, what do you make of the, uh, of the landscape that you're driving out here? And he said, oh, it was, it, was, it was simple, but it was a different simple. And I said, I think you've just come up with the title for our collection that we're working on. <laughs> He's like, but that, that doesn't make any sense. And I said, are you kidding me? It makes so much sense. It's a beautiful collection of words that you wouldn't ordinarily see together. A different simple. And that became the title of our collection. Yeah, so, so there's, there's a very honest uh, and interesting response. Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't see much in it, but it was, it was just what he came up with, which was mm. what was so nice about it. Mm. So um, basically what, what, what we hear you saying here, Harry, is that you can you can let go of this idea that a poem has to take us soaring into the into the stratosphere of high emotion and and uh, you know, love poems and and, and grief stricken uh, poems. We can write about stuff that's much closer to us and in the smaller 
smaller parts of life. I think that's absolutely true. Often people want to write poetry when they and they will tell you that, oh, I haven't written poetry for a long time, but when I was a teenager, da, 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 I used to write, you know, love poems or, you know, grief poems or I'm so sad poems. And yeah, they can be marvellous, of course. But in fact, you can find your way into those sort of subjects via something that's much closer to home, much more, much nearer to you. And, and just because a poem is about a, a small thing or a, or a small object doesn't mean it has to be a small poem. It can be a huge poem. It can talk about huge things. Now that's, that's something that poetry is particularly good at. To wrap up then, I've got one last question. I know we've touched on this, but I'd, I'd like to I'd be interested to hear you summarise this. Uh, because this is kind of the, the look I often get from young people when we start talking about doing this kind of thing. Yes. What's the point? What's, What's the, the point, point of writing poetry? What's the point of writing poetry? Well, life-affirming. You are engaging through language with the world out there in a way that you can't with any other kind of writing. And you can do it in one page. It's, it's fantastic to see this, this thing that you've made on one page. It's like, it's, it's achievable. You know, when you think about, oh, I've got, I want to write a novel, but, oh, it has to be 300 pages, it's kind of off-putting. But you can manage a poem. You can do it. You can actually see those lines going down there, and you can shape it uh, and make it work. It's a way of, well, what is it? It's a way of, it's this sort of ultimate expression, you might say, of language, and therefore feeling, emotion, joy, the other, is... is it's very available when writing a poem. It's, it's the way of channeling it, like no other way that I know. Can I share the, you probably know this, the shortest poem the, uh, by Ogden Nash, who wrote a lot of lovely... I think lovely, I know this one, yes. Yes, yeah, it's two words. What is it? Do you remember? Adam Haddam. <laughs> what, was, what was that about? What was the title fleas. of that one? That was about fleas. Fleas, Adam Haddam. Um, <laughs> Oh, you've got another one, have you? Yeah, there's a shorter one by Ogden. Oh. The, the, the poem itself is as long as the title. The title is My Goldfish. And the poem is Wet, full stop, pet, full stop. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice, isn't it? Very nice. And, of course, you know, in a more, on a more, more, more serious note, although, you know, something very serious about Ogden Nash, but on a more serious note, I think Basho, who was the, uh, the ancient uh, Japanese haikuist, he, I think he wrote a, a two-line haiku called uh, that was about a. Actually, I don't think it had a title. It was just uh, the frog contemplates the lily pond. Plop. Yep. Isn't that nice? It's nice. That show was ha pretty good. <laughs> he was. Um, Harry Lang, thank you so much for joining us. Um, do you have a website? I do. Yes. 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 What's your website? Uh, HarryLang.com.au. And it's Lang, L-A-I-N-G. L-A-I-N-G, Lang, yes. HarryLang.com.au, did you say? I did, yep. That's the one. All right, um, well, thank you so much for talking to us, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. It's been a pleasure, James. I've really enjoyed it. Uh...